having one of those days where I'm missing little details of stuff. I was worried the sound equipment wasn't working this morning. I'd forgotten to turn it on, but not before, you know, calling Caleb to troubleshoot it. Uh, and then I couldn't get the coffee machine to work uh, before Tim came in with his PhD and offered that it needs water in it. <clears throat> and then I was up here without my Bible or my notes. So not sure how that was going to go. Anyway, grab a copy of, of God's Word. Let's get into it. Turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 39. And as you're, you're making your way there, let me, let me ask you, are, are you a singer? Right? We're looking at some songs today. Are you a singer? And I don't mean do you, do you sing well like, like Christine and Amy up here leading singing today. I mean, do you sing as you go about your, your day? Maybe even internally, if not otherwise. I, I will tell you, I am a, a terrible singer who... Um, I just can't sing well. Anyone who sat in front of us can absolutely confirm this, right? This is where, you, can you get an amen? Yeah, John's like, absolutely. Although Isaac complimented my singing today. I don't know what that was about. Get his ears checked. Um, anyway, my family can attest that I am a, a, a singer despite not being gifted to do it. I wander around the house singing made-up songs, either messing with our children about something or uh, about something I'm excited about, or what was it? I think it was pizza on Friday nights I was singing about. Uh, I've, I've noticed our, our daughters, when they're not singing Taylor Swift, are also the type that just make up spontaneous songs as they go about life. Um, and, and it's that question, are you a singer, right? And maybe again, just internally, and, and the question is, what, what might actually move you to sing in your life? Joy or or sadness, or anticipation, what, what would move you to sing? In the Gospels, we have recorded for us four instances of, of people and angels uh, bursting out in, in song, where they just sing, right? Who knew the, the Bible was a musical in a sense? And in this Advent season, we're going to focus on the beautiful lyrics of these, these biblical songs, one by Zechariah, one by Simeon, uh, one by a group of angels, and today we're going to look at the song of, uh, of Mary, one that she burst out and sings while she is pregnant with our Lord. Uh, you may have heard it referred to before as the Magnificat. That doesn't mean a magnificent cat. Uh, it's called that, right, because it's the first word in, in Latin. That's the first word that she sings, and that word means magnify in, in Latin. That's what she's getting at. So that's where we're headed today. Now, now what do you know about Mary? And I, I ask that because I, I know, and I've been told it over and over again, but anytime I kind of think about Mary, I imagine she's in her young 20s at this time, and, and we know that's not accurate. You know, Mary's a teenager at this time, somewhere between the ages of 14 and 16, right? So try to get your head around that, and it seems a little weird to us, but remember, right, that this time particularly life was short, people grew up fast, they married young. Uh, no one there was like, that's weird, she's 14, uh, it was just the way life was. Now, she's not married at this point either. She is betrothed. It's similar to modern-day engagement. Not the exact same, but similar. She's also a virgin. And, and so the one thing that Mary was not expecting at this point in her life was to be expecting at this point in her life. And yet, God has worked a miracle, and she is pregnant. And as crazy as this whole thing sounds, she is pregnant with the Son of God, with the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for since the fall of Adam and Eve, or Adam. Right? The, the angel Gabriel then, you know, earlier, before our passage today, visited Mary, and, and he tells her all that God was doing 
And at the end of their conversation, Mary says some of the most profound words in all the scriptures, I think. Mary, Mary says this, Luke 1, 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She leans right into it. Yeah, Lord, whatever you need, I'm your servant. So let's, let's read our, our passage. It picks up in the very next verse after that one, Luke uh, beginning, Luke 1, beginning in verse 39. Follow along. you got it out in front of you, I hope. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who is beloved, that there, that believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in repentance of, of his mercy, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The grass withers, the flower fades. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you have made us to sing, to rejoice to you, to magnify you by our delight in you. Fill us with joy today as you filled Mary so many years ago as, as she anticipated the birth of her child, her Savior, our Savior. Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds this morning so that we may approach this familiar passage with renewed intrigue. Please revive our love for you and expand our delight in you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, so Mary finds out she's pregnant with the Son of God, and with haste she heads to the hills, we read. Only she's not running away, is she? She's headed towards encouragement, uh, towards fellowship with uh, uh, her cousin, who lives in this, this town in, in Judah. We don't know which town exactly. Uh, but just by that general idea, we know it's about a hundred-mile journey that she goes on. To put that in perspective, I always like some sort of modern-day perspective. If, that's, if you got up right now and decided you are going to walk to Lawrence, I don't know why you do that, but you decided you are going to walk to Lawrence. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Four days, roughly, uh, of rugged travel is what it would have taken. Uh, there's no way she was traveling alone, and yet we don't know any of the people that were traveling with her on this, this journey. Uh, we do know this, right? Without a phone or even a Walkman, uh, that is a lot of time to be pondering what, what she has heard from Gabriel the angel, what, what God is doing in her life, to really begin thinking about these things. It, it would probably do you and I well to have that sort of undistracted time to ponder what God is doing in our lives as well. And I, I tell you this, right, not just because, oh, maybe that'd be interesting, but 
because it's important that you understand that, that this song that burst out of Mary in this moment, right, it's, it's not just that she's sitting there empty and just, oh, suddenly these words come to her, right? It's, it's after she has been meditating on and wrestling with all this that God is doing in her life. That, that's what this is coming out of that, right? After those days of travel. And so then she finally arrives at the home of Zechariah and she enters in and she greets Elizabeth. Can you picture the, the embrace, the joyful embrace of these two pregnant women as they, they finally get to, to see each other here? Now, Elizabeth is, is also pregnant at this time. She's a bit further along, six months into her pregnancy. And at, at this point, John, uh, right, it's going to be John the Baptist, uh, her unborn son. He's, a, he's about the length of a, an ear of corn at this point. Uh, he weighs about what a, a bag of coffee beans weighs. Uh, if you could see into her womb, you'd, you'd see that uh, little John looks like a miniature newborn with eyes that are just open. Already John has unique fingerprints of his own. So he could kick and stretch. And, and here at this moment, he leaps for joy at the presence of, uh, of Jesus, right, in, in Mary's womb. And, and this is just a, another reason uh, to believe that John in his mother's womb, like all developing babies, is not just a potential person, but an actual person who can feel and, and express joy. And, and so in this moment, the other thing happening is, is this is the, the prophetic ministry of John the Baptist beginning, just right here, right? Pre preparing the way of the Lord, the, the way of Jesus, who is at this moment just a, a mere zygote in, in Mary's womb. Now, now, John's leaping response, this is one of a kind. That's not a normal response, is it? It's, it's, it but it's as Gabriel said back in Luke 1.15, that John is filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And again, this is unusual because he's in the womb at this moment, but what happens here is not incredibly unusual because this sort of joy, the, the common experience of all people, when they, when they finally realize that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is a Savior, right? That our, that our sins can be forgiven. To, to, to know Jesus is to fill us with joy like, like John has here. Now, if you look at verse 41, you see that John is not the only one who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, his mother, is as well. And the Spirit gives her knowledge that she could not have otherwise had. And that's why Elizabeth joyfully shouts out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Right? What a, what a wonderful thing for Mary in this moment. Here's someone that really understands what's going on. Who knows what other people were thinking, but here's someone that understands. And, and Elizabeth goes on, she calls Mary the mother of her Lord. Right? That's some deep knowledge. Elizabeth knows that Mary is pregnant with the long-awaited Messiah, a child that, 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 that will be far greater than her own child, right? Can you imagine the temptation here to, to be jealous? Well, here's someone whose child I already know is going to be far better than mine, far greater. But, but she doesn't. She rejoices with Mary. She, she expresses faith in Jesus. She, she encourages Mary for believing the word that was given to her by the angel Gabriel. Right there we're seeing this amazing fellowship between these two women. And then like some sort of musical, Mary burst out in song, and we don't know the exact details. Was it really as awkward as it looks here in the thing, or did it come later? But, um, uh, but you know, before we get into that, what, do you, what is it that moves Mary? What moves her to song? And, and this is important for us. But because the same thing can move you and me to a renewed joy in, in Christ to also sing with just fullness in our, our heart. The, the answer that we seek is actually back in Luke 1.30. You, 
If you got it open, you're already on the right page. You just go ahead and move your eyes further back to verse 30. When, when Gabriel says to her, do not be afraid. Yeah, I mean, those are always the words from angels, right? Do not be afraid. Never mind, there's a glowing angel of some sort here with wings. and Whatever it looks like, right? This terrifying creature. Don't be afraid. Uh, and then he goes on. Here's why. Mary, you have found favor with God. Favor. In other words, Mary, God loves you. God's proud of you. He cares for you. God is for you. God wants to do good for you. I mean, you need to know that in this moment, right? I mean, Kathleen Norris says Mary had to, to move from being troubled over being called God's favored one to actually believing that. You don't have to dig real deep into your own mind to, to see Mary may have wondered if, if God made a mistake on her, right? That's, that she's not worthy of his choosing to, to be the one for this, this calling. I, I suspect, suspect in a similar way the vast majority of us also need to, to move from that question, right? Does God favor us to really believing indeed He does? That He does favor you. That, that He's really chosen you. That you're the elect. That you're His child. That He looks well on you as His child. I think too many of us imagine Him just disappointed in the failures we see. Christian, you have the favor of God upon you. He, he loves you. He cares for you. God is working for you. Believe that and, and, and burst right into a joyful song. I don't mean musical wave, right? It might, again, just be in your heart, but that, that joy of knowing that God cares for you. He favors you. And so then Mary's words follow a pattern that's similar to a lot of the Thanksgiving songs or psalms. Uh, he, she expresses gratitude to God, and then she gives detail on, on why she's thankful, right? I'm, I'm here, God, you, I'm so grateful. Here's why I'm so grateful. And, and this model is, is so different than, than most of our own default, right? Which is be ungrateful and then give detailed complaints. I know I, I default to that, right? Even in the opening prayer, right? It's, it's warm, but actually it's too warm. Uh, I, I, I read this, and I see this, and I, I just, I want to be more like Mary, I don't know if that resonates with you. Do you want to be more like Mary? I, I want to start thanking God for being God and then really dig into all the reasons I have for, for being grateful to God, for being God and what He has done for me. I mean, how about you? You might thank God for your job, your spouse, your church, or your friends for some time of laughter, right? Just some of the silly joys we have in life. And then dig deeper, right? Excavate all the reasons that that you and I have to be grateful to the Lord, truly grateful. This process will, will help us develop a heart of gratitude, a mindset that really characterizes us as God's people. We're grateful people. And so then in verse 46, we see Mary's Buddy the Elf moment, right? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. That's what she's doing here. Now, in the original Greek, this is not going to tie back into Buddy, but in the original Greek, the word order in verse 46 is magnify, right? So she's saying, magnify my soul, the Lord. That, that's the way it's, it's written. When you put it in English, it kind of has to reverse order. So, right, we get, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she goes on, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
Such beautiful lyrics that she opens up with here. Her, her soul is aware of and feels the awesomeness of God, and her heart is just exploding in jubilation at all that God is, all that He is. However, can we actually magnify the Lord? Right? Isn't God as wonderful as He possibly can be? Isn't He as mighty as He possibly can be? So how in the world can we make Him any bigger? Magnifying, right? It, John Piper has a helpful illustration with the word magnify here. He says there's two ways that we actually magnify something. Uh, like a microscope or, or like a telescope. Now, uh, a microscope makes things that are really small look bigger than they actually are. Like, like human cells. This is the kind of thing Tim does in his lab. Now, a telescope makes things that are huge, right, but don't look real big because of where we are, that are huge, look as big as they really are, like, like Jupiter through a telescope. Now, we can magnify God, not like a microscope, but we can magnify God like a telescope because God doesn't get any bigger than He is, but your and my view of God is often incredibly small compared to what reality is. Our awe and our amazement of God can grow and should grow as we as we see God as wonderful as He truly is, as, as we spend time in His Word, as, as we even just look at His creation and we begin to just be amazed at all that God is. I'll, I'll never forget when God finally opened my reluctant eyes to His sovereignty. Right? I fought about it against it for years, hated the idea, but suddenly I saw it in every book of the Bible. Um, I, I saw God working in every step of my life and, and my view of God was, was magnified. Right? And the way I tried to explain that to people was, you know, God just, God feels bigger now in a way that I didn't understand before. My, my sense of awe at God's redeeming me was overwhelmingly because of the sense of, okay, I, I'm really incredibly unworthy of this. I've contributed nothing and yet look what God has done. And, and my soul was exploding in wonder and gratitude like, like Mary's here. A, a grateful soul, a grateful heart magnifies the Lord. And so, Christian, continuously in your life, ponder in your heart what it is you have to be grateful for because that is one way that our, our, our heart, our soul, does indeed magnify the Lord. Now look at, at verse 48. Mary is singing still, right? And she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. Right? She's calling herself. She's, she's the humble servant here of God. Remember, right, she said that before to the angel, which I already pointed out to you in verse 38, right? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She is so incredibly willing for her life, even her womb, to be used in the service of God. That sort of submission to God is just inspiring to me. It's not my default to react that way. She's open to receiving the grace of God, in this case, literally the physical person of Jesus, her Lord. Paul, Paul Hahn, a pastor friend of mine, said this. He said, Mary's open submission to God's message created the space for Jesus to come into the world so that he might save us all. All God desires from us is to be people of open wombs willing to receive his grace. You and I, we, we call ourselves Christians, right? That's an identity we use. We call ourselves oh followers of, of Jesus. Some of you like to get real creative. I'm a follower of the way, right? Uh, children of God, things of these terms. But how often do you actually refer to yourself as a servant of the Lord? Or is that too weird sounding? I'm a servant of, of God, of the Lord, of Jesus, right? It's, 
It, you know, if not, I really encourage you to include that. Yes, all the other ways we identify as, as the Lord's people are good and right, but, but also I am a servant of God. And in our prayers, right, the more often, Lord, I am your servant. What, what would you have me to do for you today, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your people, for those around me, my neighbors, whatever? And then in, in verses 48 and 49, Mary sings that all generations will call her blessed. And he sings, and she sings, he who is mighty has done great things for me. I, I, I find that interesting. Um, women, imagine you're in a culture that is extremely unforgiving of, of women who engage in sex before marriage. And, and God decides he's going to bless you. And here's how he's going to do it. He, he's going to make you miraculously pregnant. Uh, but your extended family, your friends, your neighbors, right? They might not know that this was a wholesome miracle of the Lord. Many are going to reasonably assume that, that you have acted immorally. In that moment, how, how easy would it be for you to say, God has done great things for me? Isn't this grand? I mean, how protective we are of our own reputations. I can't see how God might even be working in those moments. Her situation is going to be uncomfortable, to put it lightly, but she's right. God has done great things for her, redemptive things for her and for us through her. Uh, women, men, children, we, we must learn to look at the situations uh, in our life through this eternal lens if, if we're going to have any hope of, of really seeing what God is, is doing in our life, of, of seeing it rightly so that we might say in some of the most difficult times of our life, right, that God has done great things for us. I'm not saying it's easy. Not, not at all, but I encourage you to look, look for that. See what God is doing even in the most difficult moments and times of your life. Now, now, at the very end of verse 49 and end of verse 50, Mary says, Holy is His name and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Now, now I was listening to D.A. Carson and he pointed out that the past generations had no problem believing that God was, was holy, but they really struggled to believe that God was good, right? That he was loving and kind. In our current generation, we, we have no problem believing, uh, you know, this general idea of God is love. But, but there's this struggle to believe that God is holy or that holiness is even something of, of any value. Now, the holiness of God is, is the attribute that best describes God's essence. And, and unfortunately, a failure to understand that God is holy leads us to a great lack of, of fear of God. And, and, and again, right, when Scripture talks about the fear of God, we're not talking about like that, that fear you have of someone who wants to do evil or harm to you, uh, but that fear that leads to reverence and awe of just absolute amazement. Now, the lack of fear of God is, is a problem because when you do what, do you, what do you see in verse 50? Look at it, right? Wait, what does God give to those who fear them? He gives mercy. Right? It says his mercy is for those who fear him. Now, now, here's why that's the case. If we cannot see that God is holy, we will not understand that we are not holy. You just won't see it. Right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like that phenomenon, right? Where, where your teeth might look reasonably white most of the time when you walk by and see yourself in the mirror. And, and, and it's a real problem as soon as you hold up something that's pure white next to them. You think, oh, wow. Uh, so this is what true white actually looks like. My teeth are indeed not white. Now, that's our response to knowing the holiness of God, right? That, oh, wow, so this is what holiness looks like. I am not holy. 
right? The whole Isaiah thing, right? Woe is me kind of moment. And, and, and until a person knows they are unholy, they will not seek the mercy of God. And, and that's where it all comes back around. If you don't know that you're unholy, that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, you're not going to even look for the mercy of God until you're not going to receive it. You're not going to receive the mercy which is freely given in the gospel. Now look at verse 51. Notice here, Mary switches from the present tense to the past tense. Kind of a weird thing going on in the original language here. Anyway, um, she's here, understand, she is carried along by the Holy Spirit so that she is stating what God has done in the past and at the same time what God will do in the future. All right, it's a prophetic kind of thing going on here. And how's that? Well, well, God's future plan is so certain that it can actually be declared in the past. Uh, there's a number of places in the Scripture where that's the case. Now, for instance, in verse 51 here, though, in, in, in song, Mary prophesies that God has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In the past, God has shown his strength and he's crushed the hearts of the proud. Right? We have all kinds of examples of this. David crushing Goliath, right? delivering them um, from Pharaoh, they, those kind of things. Uh, and, and yet God is also teaching us through Mary's word that this glorious child that's in her womb, right? now we're looking forward, is going to show his strength in an ultimate way. He's going to show his strength in a way that conquers sin and that shatters the proud in every single age. Right? This is not a gift for the proud. Not, not as an identity. It, Jesus is turning the, the world's values upside down, and, and now humility is of great, great value. Uh, Martin Lord Jones once wrote, Everything that man boasts in, his intellect, his understanding, his power, his social status, his influence, his righteousness, his morality, his ethics, his code, every one of them is utterly demolished by the Son of God. All those things, right, that we value, they're demolished by the Son of God. They have no, no standing there. The, the prophet Daniel said it like this in Daniel 4.37. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. It's a good thing to be humbled. And, and listen to how humility is esteemed in our passage in verse 52 today. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And then in verse 53, Mary sings of God. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now understand, when verse 53 speaks of the rich, this isn't a condemnation of having wealth, right? We all have wealth by world standards. Rather, it's a condemnation of anyone who values their wealth more than God. More than how they can use it as a tool for the glory of God, for the care of their family and neighbors, and in the service of God. It's when we make an idol out of that. And then in the final two verses of, of her song, Mary's word connect this, this time of fulfillment back to the promise, right? The covenant that's made with Abraham. That's what's going on in that section there. God, God has always seen that we are needy people. He has always seen that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves. That is not new information. And so he provides what we cannot. He provides a savior. He provides forgiveness. He provides an eternal home with a good heavenly father. All right, and that kind of brings us there to the end. Now before we finish up, I, I do want to point out one more thing. You, you see, while Mary likely had no formal education, one thing that is very obvious in the song of hers is, is that she knew her Bible incredibly well. She didn't need formal education for that. She, she is so scripture-saturated that God's word just drips from her lips like honey from an overfull honeycomb. You, you see, Mary isn't finding these words in some intellectual vacuum. Like, oh, this sounds poetic. I think I'll say this, right? Uh, in, in this moment... What's going on here is she's a little bit, 
Can you compare Mary to a freestyle rapper? Is that even right? It's a little like that, though, in the sense of this, right? She is drawing from what she already knows, what is already in her mind, what, what's already, like, hidden in her heart, right? And, and as she is carried along by the Holy Spirit to sing this beautiful song, she ties in an incredible amount of Old Testament passages. There's only 10 verses here, and, and Mary either quotes or alludes to passages in 11 different Old Testament books here. She is Scripture-saturated. And in other words, the scriptures have become a song in her heart that she is now using to express this joy in God and all that he has done. And listen, all the scriptures can be a song in the heart of, of each and every one of us, but only if it's in our hearts. One of the down things to, to our gifts today of phones, right? You and I can look up a verse anytime we want. And, and the downside to that is we don't tend to hide it in our hearts, so it's not walking around with us all day. It's not internalized in that way. Why? Because I can Google that. Where, where does Jesus say the thing? Right? So it, it, it's really a disservice to us. We've got to fight against that. It's a great gift that you can do that, but, but we need to seek to hide it in our hearts. And, and that means we've got to just marinate our minds and our souls in, in this life-giving book. Uh, only then will our, our feelings and our thoughts and our joys and our songs be expressed in, in the language of Scripture like, like we see Mary here. And then the beauty of that is, is, is when we express ourselves in biblical terms, we, we can trust that. We, we can trust that it's true. The last observation of this passage is the beauty of humility and the economy of God. I, I know I already mentioned it, but there are, there's two aspects of humility in this passage that I want us to think about. The first is in general, and the other is specifically in the area of worship. Uh, in general, we have seen God decidedly against the prideful. Right? This is a big deal. Uh, he is against the prideful and yet for the humble, right? It's all over Scripture, but I'll, I'll give you just one of the most clear, obvious ones. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We want grace. We don't want God to oppose us. You see, uh, prideful people are, are careless people. And by that, I, I mean not that they're kind of absentmindedly, but they, they care less of others. They, they care less of what God desires of them. And, and that's because prideful people, or when we are prideful, we, we are just impressed with ourselves. Now, on the other hand, humble men and women, boys and girls, are, are care more people. Uh, you might know this already, but careless is a word that the dictionary is okay with. My word check was very adamant that uh, care more is not a phrase of any sort uh, in our culture. Maybe it should be. Maybe it'd be a great phrase that we could say, right? That Amy, she's such a, a care more person. Uh, what I mean is that the humble Christians care more about the will of their Lord. When we are humble, we care more for the glory of God. When we care more, we, are being a, we care about being a servant of the Lord. How might I be used of Him? Not just how might I be entertained right now or not bored or, or whatever other things tend to dominate our thoughts, if we're honest, right? But, but how can I be in the service of the Lord? And in this passage, there are two wonderful godly women here who are obviously and certainly care more people. They rejoice in God's goodness to each other. They remain humble even as they are given the great privilege to be the mother of the greatest of all prophets and, and the mother of, well, simply the greatest of all. All these talks of who's the goat in our era, right? Nobody holds a candle to the Lord Jesus. The, the greatest of all, the, the Savior of the world, the, the Lord Jesus. And, and so then, Christians, take some time to honestly ask yourself during this Advent season, am I, am I growing more humble? 
Am I becoming more humble? Am I a willing servant of the Lord? Right? A willing servant of the Lord. Am I submissive to, to His will? And then ask the Lord and then seek after a heart of humility. Uh, Augustine, right? Augustine wrote this. He said, I love this. He said, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second thing, and humility is the third thing. That's the importance he puts on it. And so the, the end of our thing is that Mary stays with Elizabeth three months. If you've, if you've done the math, you know that probably means she stayed through the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, you can imagine over these three months what a great encouragement these women were to each other. And, and so then my, my hope for us today is, is that with Mary, with Mary, we might genuinely be able to say, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. Right? If you want to let something just sit in your mind, that you want to meditate on and saturate in your mind, right? just start with that one phrase today. My soul magnifies the Lord. You ask the Lord to make that true. Right? On the other hand, how do we ultimately make that happen? Well, we awake every day with a grateful heart. We, we remember our own humble estate, our, our great need for a Savior. And then we look to Jesus and we rest in the mercy of God who provides all that we need. And so as we continue through this Advent season, let, me, let, us, let us ponder the, the wonder of the Incarnation. Right? That, that's really where I want your minds to go during this. As we, we ponder this, right? That God became flesh. This is real. Okay, I understand. If you walk out that door and you just start telling people this, it's going to sound crazy to them. Because it is crazy. And yet it's real. This is history we're talking about. It actually happened. And so Christian, let your heart be amazed. Let your soul magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, You who are mighty... You have done great things for Mary and great things for all who are born into sin and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, please renew our wonder and our gratitude this season. Lord, set us on the path to find our hope not in our strength, but in the Lord Jesus, who will one day make all things new as your covenant promise is fully fulfilled. Father, teach us to love you. Teach us to magnify you. Fill our hearts with that sort of joy that we cannot conjure up ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.